Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Theater in College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me is The Shark. We're brought to you by Nothing But Net Radio on Dash Radio and the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. I actually heard Angel Delgado, former forward for Seton Hall. He subscribed, so you should as well. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. I have a feeling Taylor is somewhere on a boat out on the lake right now. So he is not joining us. I got the shark alongside with me, but shark, we're going to press pause on our countdown for now. I think we left off at number 16. So we are not going to be counting down 15 through 11, but instead to quote Donald Rumsfeld, we got him. Could be George Bush. Not entirely sure who said that quote, but you guys know what we're talking about. We got him. We got our white whale where we were like Captain Ahab over here for a while trying to book this guest. John Fanta joins us, the bright young star, the next rocket ship of a play-by-play announcer, college basketball, baseball. He does it all. He he gives us a call. Sue, you were there during this interview. He gives us a call. <laughs> yes, that was I was. On par. Yeah. <laughs> 
course. Uh, he gives us a call that was on par with Al Michaels, on par with Gus Johnson. Literally gave me goosebumps as he was saying it. Just beautiful. We got to find it and play it in the middle of the show. So listen for that if you're going to listen for anything. I mean, in all seriousness, Fanta is a a rising star in the broadcast journalism uh, world, especially for college basketball. But he's chopping wood right now with no college basketball on. He's chopping wood for the Indians. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's a he's a young guy. He's a young guy in the industry, and he's making himself known. And it's it's cool that he was able to jump on board with us. Uh, he's finding ways to be productive in the sports world, get his name out there. And what what more would you want to root for than that, right there? So I don't think we have anything else to discuss. I mean, outside yeah, uh, of Fanta, college basketball world's pretty dormant. I mean, what what do you what do these guys want from us? Like, we're not going to do five teams here, but we're giving you Fanta. <laughs> I mean, Merry Christmas. That's a that's a that's a teaser for you. Without further ado, let's go ahead and get to our interview then with John Fanta. All right, we now welcome to the program college basketball reporter and play-by-play man John Fanta. John, I'm going to dive right in. And I will be 100% honest with you. Hopefully, this doesn't make you go running for the hills. You are basically uh, our Moby Dick in terms of interview guests that we've gotten onto the program thus far. We actually talked a little bit about DePaul before you know we started recording here. We actually had Pantelisidious on. Uh, so I think the Big East loves us a little bit now. But you're basically our Moby Dick. And I want to give you a bit of historical context here. The Shark here tweeted at you in early February, and I have the receipts. Uh, he, he laid the groundwork to get you on. He said, quote, what a video. Glad I bought my Fanta stock low. This guy is going to take off. He had another tweet that said, this guy's the next voice in the business. Now, it went a little dormant in terms of getting you onto the program, which is fine. But then a couple weeks ago, I tweeted at you wishing you a happy birthday. And we exchanged information. And now we finally have you on. So this is a roundabout way of asking you who deserves the lion's share of the credit here. It's like an alley-oop. The shark with the alley, I had the oop. And before you answer, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Yeah, and you finished the job, Taryn. The shark the shark started the job, but I'm going to go with the closer here. You close the deal, my man. And, uh, man, Mark, it, five months, a five-month gap. I mean, this Taryn knows how to cut the deals around here. You know what, John? I, I'm not going to fault you for not engaging with me my twitter account has been described by some of the providence hyena fan bases they call me a freak show so i often get in the mud with them they don't like me because i chirped them after georgetown uh georgetown game back in february when i where i wasn't impressed with their big quad one win so we have history so i don't blame you for not engaging with me but i did begin the relationship and you know Subi, i'll give you the credit there you did buy stock low so now that I'm thinking about it, because you bought when you did, it's like the Rothsteinism. You should have bought a long time ago. You've been oh. in this a long time. I'm giving the edge to the shark. Double, oh, double switch with a reverse. The shark takes it. That's a quad one win for you. I might hand out the quad wins along the way on this interview. I like that. See, this is this is the disadvantage of going up against the lawyer. I mean, just within 45 seconds, he turned the jury's mind around. He did a really nice job there of, of countering and got on the fast break and made something happen. In 25 years or 30 years, when we're watching John Fanta on NBC announcing some Olympic game in Beijing, like he's Bob Costas, 
you're always going to remember that the shark bought low right before the quarantine hit and he started taking off. So thank you, John. I really appreciate it. And if this podcast ended right now, I'd be a happy man. Well, I just hope that the next time I'm not on your show is 25 to 30 years from now. And, you know, I hope there's not a 20. This already was a five month gap between our first interaction. Let's hope we don't go 25 more years. I'm already having fun. Yeah. So speaking of buying low here, John, I'm curious, how did you get your start? Tell us a little bit about that because you have achieved a great deal of success at a pretty damn young age. So tell us about how, I mean, even going back to high school to where you are now. Yeah. So I grew up on the West side of Cleveland, Ohio, a town named Westlake. Um, now my mom calls Cleveland home. So it's like one of those things when you say, Oh, I grew up in Westlake and they're like, Westlake, which, which Westlake? Well, now I actually say, you know, uh, my mom lives in Cleveland. So I'm a Cleveland born and raised kid, grew up with the Browns, Indians and Cavs. And when you grow up in Cleveland, sports is life. You live it, you breathe it, you sleep it. It's everything. You diet. That is Cleveland sports. And so I went to St. Ignatius High School, known for some really good football. Um, Ended up going there, calling a bunch of different games, guys, like football, basketball, baseball, rugby, lacrosse, soccer, hockey, you name it. And I made a ton of mistakes. I mean a ton of mistakes. And if you look back at my voice then, you'd be like, oh, my goodness. But you know what? Because of all those broadcasts, it helped me. It helped me get a rhythm heading into college, almost like a head start into college. I didn't want to stay in Ohio for college. I wanted to go to New York, New Jersey, that area of the country, because of the amount of opportunity involved there. So I was about to go on a college visit to Fordham, and my college counselor at St. Ignatius said, hey, I got this flyer from this Seton Hill, and uh, what they meant to say was Seton Hall. They're like, actually, it's Seton Hall University. There is a Seton Hill. Um, and, uh, I said, okay. And she's like, you know, if you're in the area, why don't you stop by the campus? Just take a look. I don't know much about it, but looks like they've got an okay program. And that was it. Well, I stopped by and it was just like fate. You know, I ended up scheduling an additional visit down the road. And I just thought to myself, there's something about this place. And it was my dad who actually said, Big East basketball, Madison square garden. And I was like, well, they don't win a lot though, dad. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what kind of opportunities I'm going to get. Little did I know the program would end up entering one of their best eras in their history, over 100 year history. I went to Seton Hall, absolutely loved the people there, the opportunities there, got to travel over half the country. And that, look, you've got to be willing to go through the open doorway and you've got to be willing to do the work, but you got to also go to a school that's going to allow you to to be your best and allow you to get opportunities. And that's what Seton Hall gave me. And I'm forever grateful to them. And that's how I got my start with the Big East. My freshman year at Seton Hall, 2013-14, was the first year of the reconfigured Big East. So for me, I wasn't the guy that was showing up to games, like a lot of media members, being like, this is a good game, but this isn't the old Big East. I love the old Big East tweet. For me, my first love is actually the new Big East, and it's really stuck because when I came in as a freshman, that's when the new Big East started, and that's where we stand today. And they offered me a job my senior year of college. I was about to go down to Texas to be a local sports anchor, and the Big East was like, are you interested in hosting a men's basketball show, doing some coverage, and we'll pay you for it. I was like, you know what? 
I could go down to Texas and be the local sports guy if this doesn't work out because that Texas job is always going to work out. But if other people find out about this job to cover the Big East, it's going to go. And somebody could end up taking off with it. And so for me, I, I was really lucky the timing of it and and, uh, and still in this role and do stuff with Fox Sports and other outlets. So it's it's been a blast. I, I owe so much to Seton Hall and the Big East Conference. Yeah, that's incredible, John. Um, I, you you mentioned your voice. I want to talk a little bit about that. Was there any like was there a family member? Was there a friend who just or because you have the perfect voice not only for sports but specifically for college basketball? So was there a family member or was there a friend who was like John? I don't care that you like history. I don't care that you like mathematics. You're getting your ass into sports broadcasting, or did it just sort of evolve naturally? Well, when I was first born. Uh, grandpa tossed me a, a fluff football. So now I think his hope was that I would be an offensive lineman for Notre Dame, but I was a God awful left guard. Uh, I mean, I couldn't block your mom. Um, so I, that didn't work out. But when you grow up watching sports, you don't need anybody to tell you that this is life in Cleveland and it hit me watching games. I was watching games and I was like, these guys get paid to talk about sports. This would be this would be so cool to do. And I was watching so many games that it was at the age of six or seven that I started turning the TV remote down and I would digest everything I heard the inning before during an Indians game and then I'd start calling the game or during a Browns game and then I'd start calling it. I knew the names. I knew some of the stats. I was digesting everything. That's how it all started, around six or seven years old. And here I am now, 25. Um, I guess I've never thought of this, but 19th year in the business. I'm just kidding because uh, it's not. But the, the point is that's how it all started. Is It wasn't anybody kicking me into shape being like, you're going to do this. It was just – it was like a dream realized early on, and I can't even describe it other than it was an act of God. So, John, on that topic, you actually teased a Rothsteinism early on in this interview. Yeah. Finish this sentence for me in the spirit of Rothstein. Actually, you're going to have to finish the middle of the sentence here, but okay. so much blank in John Fanta. <laughs> who, who do you model yourself after? If you, if, you, if you could think of broadcasters that you look up to or along those lines. Taco Bell fourth meal in John Fanta. Um, no. Um, so <laughs> let, me let me think here. You know, I, I try to be my, my own self. But what I would say is um, so much Tim Brando, but younger in John Fanta. So I do love Tim's enthusiasm on a broadcast. If you've heard him call a game, you guys know how good he is on a game. He, he puts a ton of energy into it. And so I do think at times that I have taken after him um, in the way that in my energy, you know what it is? It makes you feel okay to be yourself. And that's the great thing about Fox is they've got Gus Johnson. They've got Tim Brando. They've got Joe Davis, Brian Custer. These are all guys that call games, uh, Brian Anderson, and the list goes on and on. These are all guys that call games in their way. So when I get on the air, it's made me comfortable to call the game with as much energy and color as I can provide. So um, I would say so much Tim Brando. I look up to Tim. In terms of guys I look up to, Ian Eagle's one of the best. He's going to be on here in just a, a little bit as we do this interview for the uh, uh, for the 
Pelicans Jazz game to, to tip things off. So I'm excited to to watch the NBA being back. But I love Ian Eagle. I love Al Michaels. Nance is awesome. Buck's awesome. Those guys are just they're great. And I don't just mean it. I watch all the stuff they do because they are the goats. They're all the very best at their craft. And there's only one of them. You know what? You know what else here? I forgot one. So much Kevin Harlan. Ooh. Time because Kevin I, filled with energy. And I, I you you gave uh, an answer that's leading into my second question here. And by the way, I love the fact that you picked Kevin Harlan and not kind of the typical pipeline Syracuse and Northwestern guys. And your story's kind of you're like a mid-major broadcaster. You know, you you came out of Seton Hall, although Bob Lee's a Seton Hall guy as well. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong. So you know, you you uh, you found your niche there and you landed in the new Big East. And you know, I guess the old Big East, the voice of that was Sean McDonough. But now the new Big East, we got John Johnny Fanta coming coming in after Gus and Bill, obviously on the big games. But you're you're the next in line. That was a long way of me saying what my question is going to be. Um, you know, right now we have if there's a big sporting event that is happening, you're thinking of Joe Buck, you're thinking of Jim Nance, yeah. you're thinking of Al Michaels, and maybe Tarico to call that game. Yeah. Who do you, who do you see as the next echelon coming into that? You mentioned a few that were on the top of my list. I love uh, Brian Brian Anderson, one kind of baseball, college basketball guy as well. But who else do you put in that echelon in 15 years? Who's calling the Super Bowl? Who's calling the World Series? When I think about some of the young commentators in the business, the guys that come to mind, Joe Davis, who's the voice of the Dodgers, does incredible work with Fox. Uh, another guy, Kevin Burkhart, who is just a, a star on the, the Fox baseball coverage. He does play-by-play for the NFL. He, he's got it. He's got it going. He's so good. Just great chops. You know, some other guys. Ryan Rucco's extremely talented. Um, he's doing WNBA right now. He could do any sport, and I, I would watch it. Adam Amin is another guy that just joined Fox that is just really, really strong. I also love Andrew Catalan. I think he's a very talented broadcaster. You've seen him on the NFL. He's jumped into golf. You know, th- those guys are really good. I- I'm thinking of, of guys a little bit outside the box. You know, I love watching Steve Gelbs, uh, who's at SMY. He's on the Mets broadcast with that great team of Gary Cohen, um, Keith Hernandez, and Ron Darling. So Steve's a sideline reporter, just does a really good job. Um, Cassidy Hubbard's another one at ESPN that I, I'll – I've really enjoyed her work. So I'll tell you what, in terms of star right now, if you have not bought stock, I would put him on Monday Night Football, and I wouldn't think twice. Lewis Riddick, every time I watch him on ESPN, I'm impressed. I, I just every single time I watch him, I get something out of the segment. He's a star. I noticed you didn't mention Ian Eagle's son, who's also probably relatively close to your age. Is that because there's a budding rivalry there? No, no there's not. Uh Noah is a friend and a colleague. He's excellent. You know, uh, he's extremely, extremely talented. And there's a stigma out there that because he's Ian Eagle's son, this is why he's doing what he's doing. And I would, I would say this. He is Ian Eagle's son, but he is extremely talented. And his talents and his abilities say it all. Say it all. And I completely he's, agree. He's earned everything that he's gotten. And so the outsiders who say about that, you know what? He is a great tribute to his father, but he is his own man, and he's going to have an outstanding career. Love I the answer. 
Hold on, I got to apologize to Noah now because now John was basically just saying I was the guy that was calling him out for the nepotism. He, I'm not doing that at all. I was just trying to get a rise out of you, and I gave you that great answer opportunity right there. Noah, you're awesome. The video of you, I can't even distinguish you between your father's voice. You're going to be a future star. That's exactly what I was going to say is I think it was either Syracuse versus Miami or Syracuse versus Louisville or something. It's impossible, right? So they pull it away. And I think Raftery was just basically confused as well. Uh, but it, it, it is incredible. And then I, I think the other day, cause Noah, Noah Eagle is the Clippers radio guy, I believe. And he was broadcasting for the television uh, feed and he was just talking a mile a minute. And you almost realize, and you can sort of then really appreciate the difference between play-by-play and radio versus play-by-play uh, on TV. But so, John, this leads me to my next question then. We we did have Pantelis Zidius on, and we asked him about his reaction to uh, the Big East tournament getting shut down, canceled, and, of course, the NCAA tournament getting canceled. And he provided great perspective from a player as someone who covers the sport, who is presumably in MSG when this news was levied, tell us your initial reaction and what your outlook was back in March. Well, bears noting that Pantelis Zidius went out a winner at the 2020 Big East Tournament. DePaul, are they the champs since they're the last team that won a game at that tournament? They might be. They could be. They were, they were a rudderless ship, though, uh, I think, like February and March. They were tough. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right about that. I, what I'll say is about being at the Garden, it was so surreal. We'll never forget that day, Thursday, March the 12th, 2020. You walk into the Garden, there's no vibe. There's always a vibe at the Big East Tournament. You just can get it from the fan bases. You get it from the atmosphere. You get it from the popcorn through the stands. It's just everything about the Big East Tournament is energy. It's passion between the fans and then the coaches in this league are just off the wall. So walking in, it just felt weird, but it was like, well, we're going to play basketball today. At least we've got that going for us. We still have sports. And at 1147, when these other conferences started coming down, um, and then you start the game, that Creighton-St. John's game, I have never felt more eerie at a sporting event. And I can tell you, I've never found myself checking my phone and checking my laptop more as a game is going on than I was that day because the game totally moved back in terms of being a priority. I mean, just totally, totally took a back seat. Have never felt that during a a game, nor alone a game being played in the month of March. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we all remember where we were as those were going on. And then obviously the sadness that came out of it once the tournament got canceled. One thing I've always wondered with broadcasters, um, you know, I, I, I could ask you about your rooting interests. I'm, I'm not going to do that just because I know that you want to be impartial throughout all this, even though I, th- I think you might have alluded to the fact that you grew up a Notre Dame fan based off your grandpa's comment there. But. Okay, I'll let you correct that right there if you want to. Yeah, but. yeah, no, not a, not a huge Notre Dame fan, but uh, I just like watching good college sports. Good, you know, I like that. Ohio, you end up growing up with noon and 3.30 Ohio State kickoffs and Trestle and the vest and all that stuff. That was my childhood. Um, and Notre Dame on NBC, my grandpa's Irish. So I, I would watch, I would watch Notre Dame football, but I didn't get down or up on who won. I, my, my peak of childhood college sports is when Ohio state won the Fiesta bowl over Miami, the, the bad call, but the Buckeyes won that night. That was a lot of fun. 
Oh, fair enough. And then I, I didn't want to discount your ability as a left guard either about not being able to block Subi's mom. She's actually pretty quick and probably would get around a lot of aspiring left guards as, as well. So good hands also good. hands. <laughs> but yeah, so one question I wanted to get at assuming one of your goals is to one day kind of call a March Madness game, whether it be a sweet 16 or something like that. Don't you want to kind of be a fan that's able to watch all the other games at the same time, like me and Sub do on this end of it? I mean, you're missing out on opportunities there. Well, here, here's here's the thing on that. That's a, that's a actually a really fascinating question because even now, when I'm at a site covering a first round game or a regional game or a uh, elite eight game, there's typically either a part of another game going on or another game that I totally miss. We get to watch a lot of the games in the media room. If there's, a, if there's a good finish, we'll all get up if we're not covering the game. And all the media, even though they're told not to react or applaud or get emotional, they do back in the media room when watching a game. Like, we're like regular fans. It would be a dream come true to come into people's living rooms during some of the best sports days of the year. So for me, if that means I've got to miss Villanova beating North Carolina A&T to do the 8-9 game between Arkansas and Kansas State, I would be overjoyed at that. So it would be a dream come true to work a game like that and to work a first, second round site like that. I've got, let's see, I'm 25. I've got give or take 50 years to do it. So we'll, we'll see if, we'll see if that can come to fruition here uh, because it would be a dream come true. I I would love to cover the big dance uh, coming into your living rooms during March Madness. It's already crazy enough, right? I, I would just look to add to your your madness. I appreciate that, John. And you mentioned Ohio State there, and it's got me thinking of if you had a go-to call. You mentioned Ohio State. I'm thinking tournament. I'm thinking Gus Johnson with the call. We're going to overtime in Lexington. Ha-ha. What was that? Ron Lewis that hit that shot? Ron Lewis. Ron Lewis. All right. Three off Do the you, throw. That's it. Do you have kind of a go-to zinger? that if you had the opportunity to drop on America's living rooms, if you ever get to that opportunity, which I think you're going to get there, buddy, do you have one in the chamber already? Or are you saving it for, for the right moment? Saving it for the right moment. Love saving that. The right moment. You know, I had one big call. Um, let's see here. Two years ago, Georgetown was playing little rock and little rock is down throughout the whole game. And I'll, I'll, I can send you guys the call. There's about five seconds left. And um, how do I not remember the kid's name? Uh, But basically, um, he he hoists a shot from 45 feet uh, and drills it to send the game into overtime. And it was December 22nd. And I I think it was Pinkston, I want to say. Somebody somebody that played for Little Rock. And I said, Pinkston for the tie! And uh, the ball went in, and I just went right to, we're going to overtime in D.C. Christmas comes early for Little Rock. Because it was December 22nd. And they were taking Georgetown to OT in a game that was a bye game. You know, they were making money off of it. So I went with Christmas comes early. You, you never know. You know, if you script it or have it ready, it's not going to come out the same way as when it just pops out. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to go the organic route, right? Got to go the organic route. So I don't have it scripted. I'll send it to us. Send it to us, and we'll splice it in. Soup's good with uh, getting clips to get spliced in. Yeah, I will. I will. With two pippins for the tie. We're going to overtime in DC. 
Perfect. Uh, so you, you've alluded to your young Ohio state fandom. You're from Ohio. So what I want to ask you is, you know, what is the state of college basketball in Ohio looking like shark? That's a double entendre for you. Only, Not only bad. guys like me, me and Fanta yeah. know about double entendres, but uh, <laughs> the state of college basketball in Ohio last year, it was, I mean, amazing, arguably the best team in college hoops, probably the best team in Dayton, best player, uh, Obi Toppin, People in, in Iowa City aren't going to be thrilled about that, but Obi Toppin, the best player. There's a lot of talent and a lot of very good teams in Ohio when you think of, we had mentioned Dayton uh, last year. They lose Toppin, but they're still going to be pretty good. Uh, Ohio State, Cincinnati, Xavier, even Akron had a pretty solid year last year. Yeah. Who is the king in Ohio? Wow. Wearing the crown right now are the Dayton Flyers. They are wearing it. The crown is theirs because when you have OB Toppin and you, you've got a top three NBA draft pick in my mind and you do what they just did, and Ohio State's had a number of transfers. They had a transfer exodus here over the offseason. I want to see what Chris Holtman's Buckeyes look like coming into this season. I think he can recruit, but they got to retain players. Cincinnati, Steady Eddie, um, a top 40 team. But being in the American, it hurts Cincinnati. You know, I think that Cincinnati could be a Big 12, Big East type team, but they just kind of get lost in the American at times. I, I just, I think that naturally. When you got to play, when you're playing Tulane and you're playing SMU and Tulsa, I think it just, it can be, it can be tough, if you know what I mean, you know, at times in that regard. But in the Those state teams of, stink, John. I'll say it for you. Those teams stink. In the state of Ohio, uh, Xavier's been to, you know, 13 of 16 NCAA tournaments, but this is a critical year. Because they were trending towards missing the tournament again this past year. That would have been back-to-back seasons. Travis Steele has a really good recruiting class coming in. But what he needs now is he needs Kiki Tandy, Zach Fremantle to take the next step. And he needs Paul Scruggs to be a senior leader. So I would still give it to Dayton right now. I think some of the flashy mid-majors. Watch out for uh, for Dennis Gates and Cleveland State. They had a, a better season this past year. Gates is bringing in some good recruits. He's trying to elevate the game there for Cleveland State in the Horizon League, potentially get back to the Norris Cole days when uh, the Vikings made the tournament and shocked uh, Al Farouk uh, Aminu in Wake Forest. So um, that's a good team. Bowling Green, credit to Michael Huber. Bowling Green is a sneaky team in the Mid-American. They really have emerged. Very good basketball program that's uh, coming out of Bowling Green here. Very suddenly, nonetheless. They don't have a rich history, but they're on the come up. Well, I think we also – I also forgot about Wright State. They they got shocked in their tournament, in their uh, uh, conference tournament, but I think they were 21-2 and two or something along those lines. Yeah, that's another one. Wright State, another team to watch. Uh, a couple of those mid-majors can be really sneaky good. We've seen Ohio U as well down in Athens, but uh, have had a couple of tougher years recently. Kent State, still a pretty solid team. Uh, but Wright State's one to watch and keep an eye on Bowling Green. I think if I said Bowling Green to a lot of people, they'd say, is that school down south? No, it's it's actually in Ohio. Yeah, they, they had a shooter, if I remember, on, on Bowling yeah, Green as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the reason I had to bring that up is because my brother-in-law is from Dayton, Ohio. And so I'm going to pivot a little bit with this question. What are the best wings in Ohio? Because he has tweeted, it's on record, he says the best wings in the in the world are in southwest Ohio. Uh, I've been to Frickers. I've been to Bunkers. I don't know if either of those two restaurants ring a bell to you. Where are the best wings in Ohio? Well, for my money here uh, on the west side of Cleveland, 
there's a place in Westlake called Mitchell's Tavern, and their chicken wings are to die for. Uh, they're very, very good wings. You know, there's another place here in Cleveland uh, named the Public House. My dogs are obviously hungry for some wings. Uh, the Public House is another place with pretty good wings. I like going down to Cincinnati. Uh, Adriatico's Pizza, they've also got some good wings that I've had that I've really enjoyed. Adriatico's is a pretty good place. And uh, another place named Arthur's, right down in the Norwood area, that uh, is very good. And, and I like that place a lot. So that's four places I just gave you because you can't just pick one. It's hard. One more X Factor place in Norwood. X Factor, no pun intended with Xavier. Gordo's. Gordo's. Very, very good wings. Mitchell's would be number one, but you can tell I like my wings. Mitchell's is one. That's my answer. That's a, a strong answer. And, you know, obviously, John, I tell you the Buffalo Wild Wings in Cleveland. There is a good Buffalo Wild Wings in Athens, Ohio, too. A nice little college campus one. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole too much longer. They're yeah. a chain. You know, we got to get the name. We got to. Are you more of a chain eater shark or, uh, or do you go to the mom and pop shop? Or do you have to go to Applebee's and Red Lobster and Olive Garden? And, it's you know, one of my favorite parts of this country is the American chain American restaurant. I love Buffalo Wild Wings. I love Chili's. I love Applebee's. Love them all. Uh, I, see, I, I, I like them in airports. That's where you get too. Chicago airports got a Chili's that I've, I've gone to town in. Oh, yeah. Right. What I will say is. Best chain dish for me, for me, Applebee's quesadilla burger. So I don't think I've had that burger. I don't, I've had a similar type. Taryn and I were both from Massachusetts. There's a chain restaurant that's very specific to New England. It's called the 99 that has a very similar style burger to what you're describing. I would put it on good authority that the 99 would wipe out Applebee's making the same ingredients that you just did right there. So if you're ever up there, if you're going to Provid- a Providence game or if you're going to a Yukon game next year or anything like that, you'll find a 99 around there, John. Try yeah. that out. Don't remind the Providence fans that Yukon's back. So good night. All right. Uh, let me. Okay, I know we're getting to the end here. I want to ask this question because if I don't, then the Big East is probably going to kill this show. Two part question. Your 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 expertise here is Big East basketball. You're like the cardiologist of Big East basketball here. What is the toughest place to play, and who is the most vocal, annoying fan base on Twitter? Wow. And- wow. Hmm. Um. Okay. The toughest place to play when they are playing well and when they're hitting threes, which they can do that, and they're just such a bitch to play defensively. They really are hard to play against because of the way they defend. I will, uh, this answer changes for me quite often, but I will vote today Hinkle Fieldhouse. Because that crowd is underrated. They can get very, very loud. A game can get out of control there quickly. I think it's a very difficult place to win a ball game. Um, when Butler's good. You know, that would be my Midwest answer. I will say this. They were so topsy-turvy, but when they're playing well, winning at the Dunkin' Donuts Center is just, it's hard. And that goes to my most pressing fan base. Providence fans are a different monster. They are a monster of a fan base. I love them, but it's a love-hate relationship at times because they can get into your mentions and say you're sleeping on them after they beat DePaul. 
Phantom, John. they're insane. Oh my god, it is so refreshing to have you echo our set- sentiments and someone as respected and validated as you, and not some two two guys talking into a microphone. You need but their- man, oh man. They're gonna love you for this. They're gonna put up a statue of you just for commending them and of that trade somewhere in Federal Hill. You know, they'll put it put it right over there. They're gonna love you forever just for acknowledging them there. Yeah, I mean, look, they're they speak for themselves. They have a lot of bold takes. There's times where you cannot reason with them at all. Amen. St. John's fans, I've been thrown into some St. John's fans group chats. They're crazy. You know, they've been waiting for a national championship since. Well, forever, since Louis wore his sweater. And they think they're still in 1980s. You know, they, they're expecting to win a national championship every year. Well, it's, it's just not – it's only one team does that. So, St. John's fans can be very interesting. DePaul fans, I just feel bad for at times. I, 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 so, first of all, to, to Johnny's fans, let's focus on winning one game in the tournament, let alone an wow. entire national title. Wow. <laughs> Come on. Uh, that that play-in game against ASU, I went to U of A. So I, I, it, it was just a terrible game on both sides. But I'll, I'll, I don't want the Johnny's fans getting on, on me like the Providence fans do. But DePaul, I felt terrible for them because they got such a hot start last year. And then, like I said, they kind of just deflated uh, towards towards the end. But you know who knows? Conference tournament is a whole different beast. They could have, they could have uh, rattled off a few more. But John, we just talked about a lot of these different venues. Is there a venue in college basketball that you have not had the privilege to go to that you would like to attend? Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas. I want to go there. I want to see what it's like. Uh, I got to cover the Big East Big Twelve battle this past year, and I went out to Hilton Coliseum in Ames. And I got to tell you, I have never been part of a wilder atmosphere than Seton Hall at Iowa State at Iowa State. I I was so impressed by the Cyclone fans. I want to get out to Allen Fieldhouse. I would also love some Pac-12 after dark action with the fans back because I saw some potential this past season because Mick Cronin had people coming back. I'd like to get to a Rock and Poly Pavilion. Go back in time a little bit. Get the energy going with the Bruins again. I'd like to get there. In terms of a wild card, I hear that BYU is an interesting atmosphere. I'd like to get out to Provo sometime. Those are all good answers right there. Provo, oh. I, I, that, yeah. I noticed you didn't mention any Conti Forum or Thompson Bowling Arena right there. So it's a little – I'm a, as me and Bruce Pearl are the only guys in the world that have – both BC and Tennessee related, and you didn't list any of my yeah, teams. I didn't get out to Conti. I, I don't think I'll ever get out there. Well, they they say it's the Allen Fieldhouse of uh, just west of Boston in a very specific radius. But yeah, right, no, right. Nobody goes to nobody goes to the games. Yeah. It's rough right now. It's Although the, we're talking Big East, and back in 03, the last year that they were in, they won the Big East, and they got out. They left on, and they had good crowds then. Yeah, it was good crowds. They left when they're on top. They're like George Costanza, you know, always leave on a high note. Always leave on a high note. I also think Texas Tech would be fun. Looks like Lubbock has gotten more and more fun. Uh, what a job Chris Beard's done, guys. I, I think he's a blue blood coach. I, I could see him. I know this comes off as bold, uh, but I don't think it's that bold. I could see him, Chris Beard, at North Carolina or or even Kansas or Duke down the road. If Bill Self gets gets – Possible infractions. You can't tell me Kansas doesn't try to reach out to Chris Beard. Carolina, I think, is 
a great answer that you had just mentioned because Roy Williams, I mean, how many more years does he have left? It's not like Carolina's going to fire him. Roy's going to leave on his own volition. And if so, yeah, you get a guy like a Chris Beard who's at quite literally the top of his game, two straight elite eights, uh, and then obviously an overtime away from a national title. Chris Beard is a very hot commodity, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he stuck it out in Lubbock, Texas, because he's he's building just his empire there in terms of basketball. Uh, but and and he's shown that he's able to recruit well. I think who was it? Uh, Kaminga. He said Jonathan Kaminga was gonna go play at Texas Tech had you know had the G League not come calling. So yeah, he he just has a knack for getting the most out of his players. And what he's been able to establish there, an identity of defense, of rebounding. They, they play a gritty style, but he's brought in high-caliber players who have bought into that style. He's also gone about it in the transfer wire. He's done a good job of bringing in quality transfers. This, this has been a great, great hire by Texas Tech and a guy that served under Bob Knight and Pat Knight and attributes a lot of his success to Bob. So we're seeing ties of new days from the old there in Texas Tech. Yeah. John, I will let you go on this. Who sweats more? Bruce Pearl or Buzz Williams? Woo! Buzz. Buzz is my answer. I, I've seen Buzz in person at games, and, and he's disgusting in terms of the sweat. I mean, he's a nice guy, it sounds like, in full energy. But, my God, you can't keep track of him. He's buzzing all over the place. Buzz Williams over Bruce Pearl in the sweat category. There it is. John Fanta. I would take Bruce Pearl in a game. Head-to-head coaching? Yes. Good. We, Respect. We, yeah, we have Mike Burgo, master on. friend. Of, he's He's been on a couple times. He's, I think he's the assistant director of uh, player ops or something along those lines. Big Auburn guy. So we'll, we'll relay that information. John Fanta, thank you so much for jumping on and providing uh, some context from your end and giving us the time. Anytime, guys. Happy to join you guys anytime. Thanks Thank a lot, you. John. This was great, and we'll be rooting for you. We're, we're your biggest fans as you soar into the next level here, all right? More tweets to come. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. Keep tweeting, and uh, anytime you need a guest, just let me know. Okay. Right. Buy stock now. Buy it right now. It's only getting higher. <laughs> this is the official name of this is CBB Theater, is it? or The official name of the podcast is Theater in College Hoops. Love it. Love it. Well, you can you can edit this in. Happy to stop by the theater anytime. I'll bring the podcast. <laughs> God, this guy's a genius. I mean, that's why, genius. that's why that's why he's doing it. Thank you, John. Popcorn. Thanks, cool. guys. All right. We want to thank John Fanta again for hopping onto the program. Uh, offered some fantastic insight into how he broke into this this role and uh, some of the best wings in Ohio. I mean, you kind of showed your ass there with the the amount of just chain restaurant love that you showed. I mean, I'm, I'm passionate about it. I don't know what you want me to say. Like the guy, the guys from Cleveland, he knows exactly where that Buffalo Wild Wings is downtown. I just wanted to, you know, give my respect to it. Respect has been given. Fanta, thank you again. Thank you guys for listening. We will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops. Uh-huh.